0: Everybody And welcome back to the Feeling Seen podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host for today is, I would say, one of the great expansive imaginations um, currently working in cinema. Maybe you saw the fantastical coming-of-age tale, The Lure, that involved being a musical and being about mermaids. Uh, perhaps you saw Fugue, the story of a woman coming back into a life after losing all memory of it in a way that is not necessarily welcome to reclaim the family and the the personhood she left behind, maybe welcomely so. Mm-hmm. And now the director of The Silent Twins, Agnieszka Smoczynska, welcome. Is there anything else we should shout out at the beginning to make sure people have a good understanding of you?
1: No, no, no. I think it's uh, everything is on the spot. Uh, what I could say, I also did one documentary. Yeah, and I also work in a theater. I did one okay. musical in a theater about a dog, Holly Hop Dog Musical about a dog who is, <laughs> uh, his a uh, representation of a child of human beings. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're keeping your creative expressions fresh and uh, mixed up for yourself there. (laughs) Um, uh, Let's let's start with just telling people The Silent Twins. That is your new movie that is coming out. Can you tell us a bit about The Silent Twins? It is based on real people, June and Jennifer Gibbons, real twins from the United Kingdom. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about the movie?
1: Yes, it's about uh, two sisters, June and Jennifer Gibbons, who came from Barbados, two black twins, and they grew up in Wales. When they went to school, they decided to be silent. The mm-hmm. story is about their love, their hate, their, mm-hmm. their relationship, very complex, rich. And the story is also about, uh, it has many, many, many layers. Uh, it's also about artists who wants mm-hmm. to communicate with the with the outside world. It's also about the being excluded from the community it's also about uh, response to the systemic racism which was mm-hmm. during this time in uh, in UK it's also about sacrifice at the end finally at the end
0: mm-hmm. is this your first english language film
1: yes correct
0: now is there a difference in communicating the like specificity of the expression that you want to get across when you are working in a, Like, is there something that comes easier when you get to work in Polish versus like, okay, and now we're going to transfer this over into like the ling- linguistic and cultural idiosyncrasies of not working for, from a Polish script? Was that different at all for you?
1: Yes, yes. It was very difficult for me. And also... It seems
0: really hard. That seems really hard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But because I got this script from Andrea and... Andrea Siegel, screenwriter yes. of, of the film... Yes. Yes, I really loved the story, and I really wanted to tell this story. Mm-hmm. That's why I decided, you know, to just uh, put away all my fears in terms of the language, in terms of the theme, and in terms of this huge challenge. Mm-hmm. And before this movie, I decided also to make uh, two episodes of the series Warrior Nun. It's mm-hmm. on Netflix, and then I and I then I just realized that, you know, to direct in a different language it's not so difficult because it's for me sometimes it was even some there were moments especially when I was working with actors and when mm-hmm. I was working on the set and when I had to focus on the emotions then mm-hmm. I realized that I'm I'm not listening how they pronounce the some words on about the tone I was mm-hmm. rather focused on the emotions so in this um, Uh, in this, you know, on this side, it was much, it was surprising for me, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not only the language, it's also the clash of culture, Mm -hmm. you know, it's everything. And it's you, you had to combine, we had six uh, producers, we had uh, three countries, completely different countries, US, UK, Uh Poland, which is completely, you know, the system and also the, I I think, also, because of the mentality is different in Poland, in UK, and in uh, in US. But mm-hmm. the story, at its core, is about two beautiful human beings, and it's very universal. So it helped us a lot. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and something that i was um and i i've i've said this so many times before in this in this podcast but it it remains to be one of my favorite things about getting to do this is i ask people to bring characters to present to discuss and i when i'm watching the work that contains these characters in them. I'm watching it through the specific lens of the films and projects that, that co-hosts are coming on and being like, okay, this is the experience through which I am perceiving these characters. And you brought quite a wonderful litany to the table. And I will just, I will, I will list off as I received them. So here's, (laughs) here's some characters you suggested for who we could kind of talk through today. One of my all-time favorites, Pippi Longstocking, Pippi Longstocking, (laughs) Yes. Ponyo, Patricia from the, I believe that's the Goddard film, Breathless. Yes, Breathless. That's the Godard yes, film. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Julie from Three Colors Blue. Yes. Fern in Nomadland. Beatrix Kiddo, of course, The Bride from Kill Bill. Clarice Starling. Ava, which is Mia Wachikowska's character from Only Lovers Left Alive. And Jennifer in your own film, The Silent Twins. yes. Yes,
1: and of course uh, silver from and uh, silver and gold from the uh, from the lore. Mm-hmm. But when I was asked to think about these characters, these female yeah. characters. I realized one thing that in the whole, in the whole history of filmmaking, there is not, especially 10 years ago, I think Mm -hmm. maybe from, from 10 years, you have different female characters, but even the movie, uh, movies which I liked very much, for example, La Strada by Fellini or Kill Bill also, or uh, I, I don't know, Jackie Brown, for example, Mm. these characters, they were female characters, but also, in some way, they were told in a male way of telling the story, and there yeah. rather represented male side of the woman. And I mm-hmm. forgot about very important uh, directors too, Bergman and Antonioni, mm-hmm. because I loved I love uh, his movies, and I grew up mm-hmm. on Bergman. And these two directors, they had very, very deep, complex female characters. But it mm-hmm. was for me, it was really. You know it was really very strange that I realized oh my god there is not too many of course if you know the whole history of the cinema there sure. are some but in general I I think we have a lot a lot a lot ahead of us and we have to you know create new female characters
0: I completely agree and 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 what I found was uh, it seemed like a a consistent through line throughout all of that list and and in your own work seemed like to be this this thread of a collection of women apart generally from either their peers yes. or from society generally and whether that is as a result of their sort of intrinsic circumstances yes. as as people or very deliberate sometimes dramatic choices to take themselves apart like obviously blue and Nomad Land are very different tonally from kill bill but you still have beatrix being a character that sets out on this essentially all of them are kind of on a quest of their own galvanized by different either like emotional or physical circumstances I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. But I have only one more. The last one. The one I'm driving to right now. The only one left. And when I arrive at my destination, I am going to kill Bill. And even like something joyful like Ponyo yes. or Pippi Longstocking, you have two sort of characters so extraordinary, two young girls so extraordinary that they don't fit in the context around them. It's Pippi Longstocking <laughs> I Wanted to talk to you about that theme of kind of like isolated yes. heroines throughout work that you either relate to or that you would go on to yes, make. Yes, for I totally
1: agree with you. That, that's what I that's why I started with uh, Pippi and with Ponyo and Ariel because when I was a child, I remember when my mom, you know, started to read me books or some myths and um, mythology, there was rather. Male characters, and I remember P.P. Longstocking. She was so different, and I remember that uh, I started to understand that the rules, which are in a society, which which are in a community, there are the rules which you can break, and you can live on your own way. Of course, I was very decent, polite girl when I was uh, when I was small. Uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. i remember that for me it was like the kind of the representation of the courage of the outsiders i love also the characters female characters who rebel you know with the Mm -hmm. with the rules and also who wants to live on their own way but now when i'm thinking about the there is also a beautiful book of the the, her- the journey of the heroine. It's completely opposite mm. to the, the journey of the hero. It's like the two books uh, in terms of the writing script. And the journey of the heroine, it's not that you have to find the gold or you have to find the treasure and your way is like to up. Yeah. Yes, that you go up, up, up. The journey of the heroine is like the circle, because women mm. have the circulation, you know, because of how we mm-hmm. perceive the world, and it's very, very interesting. And and also the depression, for example, in the in the blue, three colors of the blue, and the same, what is uh, in mm-hmm. nomad land. Uh, we learn how the women cope with the depression. The, you know the the moment mm-hmm. when you feel that you are in a very, very bad shape in terms of the your soul and mentality, and after that it it comes that it's that every every maybe seven years, every woman, every girl, has mm-hmm. this kind of the feeling just to create yourself from the beginning.
0: Um, my mom says that you're homeless. Is that true?
1: No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. not the same thing, right? No. Don't worry about me, I'm okay. You remember anything that we worked on when I tutored you? Uh,
0: yes. Um, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. It's really good. Well, and, and I was wondering with, like, something like, watching something like Fugue and seeing this woman who, she experiences memory loss. Yes. And has to build a new life for herself in the absence of knowing the life she had and then it is sort of thrown back into this previous life and not in a welcome way where she is a mother and she is a wife. And I was wondering what your, like, in coming to your understanding of that, like, more circuitous path of being, like, the central female character in your own story and understanding where, like, with the connection point to, like, rebellious figures like a Ponyo or a Pippi, how did that form your relationship with that idea of those commitments and those obligations to, like, the idea of the be- being proper feminine in the world, to be... And then you go on to make a movie about, like, this woman kind of, like rejecting and then being thrown back into the mores of a standard social hierarchy like do you feel yourself wanting to fucking push back and fight against those things are you like no i'm just kind of making observations (laughs) because if you just want to be out there being a mom and having kids i'm like you go get it aga like that sounds great but Uh, i feel like there are thoughts there
1: yes of course because i have two kids i have two daughters and oh, okay. uh, yes, and uh, when we started to work on the fugue, I was, uh, my, my, my older daughter, she was one year old. And I remember that when we started to work with the scriptwriter, Gabrizia on the, sh- on, uh, on fugue, we thought, okay, she comes g- back home and she feels guilty and she mm-hmm. wants really to suit the family and she has the mystery behind. But, and then because we, uh, because the, the process of writing lasted uh, lasted around uh, 7 years
0: mm-hmm. and
1: during this time we grew up in some way of our thinking about the world about the family about the uh, motherhood and that's what struck me very very hard that uh, mothers love it's not mm-hmm. unconditional because everybody feels mm-hmm. it's unconditional because you have to love your child and it's uh, uh, i remember the moment when i started to think about a woman about a mother who has forgot her own child. And, I, and, and for me as a mother who, who has two daughters, it was really very, uh, how to say, um, a very not beautiful, maybe also painful journey mm-hmm. to think, okay, what I would do if I would forget my daughters when I come back to my home and I forget also my husband and I don't love people who I used to love very much. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's always when you tell the story, you try to imagine and you try to, you know, in some way create a new reality. And for mm-hmm. me as a filmmaker, it's also like the alternative way of going through your own life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? In terms of the role yeah. me as a mother. So if you ask me about how was, I was thinking about this uh, character, I thought that she has to rebel. That's what mm-hmm. she has to face uh, at her home. And also what was crucial to me, that at the end, she has to abandon her family. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the sense of telling this story, that the woman has the right to abandon her own family. It's not mm-hmm. only a man. When you love somebody, the same is in Silent swings, the Silent Twins. Yeah. When you love somebody so much, you also feel like uh, like... That you love him or her so much that you also want in some way just to be set free from this relation, you know, mm-hmm. even with the with the kids. So I, I didn't want because I love them so much. I didn't want <laughs> did it in a life, but you can do this in a movie. That's why I like also so much movies and miss mythology.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that, and like that I think gets that gets to another thing that I really wanted to ask you about, which is where where did your sort of relationship as a creator with the Fantastic begin? Obviously in the lore we have this tale of mermaids and it incorporating ele- elements of mythology and Hans Christian Andersen style fairy tales. And then in in The Silent Twins, this is a real story about about r- real women. Who, it is interlaced with these very whimsical sort of dissociations from reality and these ventures into sort of dream sequences or animations that bring to life real works of fiction and poetry that we hear voiceovers of them that these women really wrote that are incorporated into the film. And I wanted to know where your relationship with those kind of fantastic elements within sort of crushing realism. Yes, you know, like communist Poland. <laughs> in, <laughs> yes. Yes. In, yes. In, In the lure as well, and then like the dour, structurally racist, and medical racism that that the twins experienced in this dappled with these, you know, dances into something more something more enchanting. And I wanted to hear when that became a part of storytelling for you.
1: You know, it was in a script. I remember when I read the script for the first time, Andra's script, she already she wanted to she wanted to represent and to present their huge imagination, mm-hmm. they, their Jennifer's and June huge sense of humor, and also how unique they were, and that's mm-hmm. what I loved very, very much.
0: Yeah, there because- are there are public there are published works that that these women wrote. They were they yes. were writers of fiction. They were poets. They yes. they had very vibrant creative imaginations that they expressed in things that people can read.
1: Yes, exactly. They, 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 they decided not to say in a verbal way, which people communicate mm-hmm. in a verbal way. They decided to communicate in written words. They were very desperate to communicate with the outside world, but as artists. And then I thought that I have to find a way how I want to describe and how I want to sell uh, Jennifer's writings. And mm-hmm. because uh, Jennifer and June, they, uh, as a kids, they used to play dolls, I mm-hmm. decided to use uh, stop-motion animation. It shows how complex June and Jennifer were as a human beings because that's what I said, that inside they were very powerful, you know, with full of sense of humor, limitless imagination. They, they were also brutal, and outside they were, they were victims sometimes here's mm-hmm. victims so it's like you know sometimes you have I, I love how she I mean uh, she uh, Andrea juxtaposes mm-hmm. the boredom, boredom versus mm-hmm. you know vivid sequence inside the world and also the victimhood versus brutality and mm-hmm. also the colorful inner world versus this dull
0: bleached outside world we are going to take a quick break, but I've got so much more to get into with Agnieszka Smoczynska. And then I will have one quick thing before I go about drum roll please. The new Hellraiser. That's right. The Hell Priest is coming back. Oh my gosh, hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters.
1: On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe. To Troubled Waters.
0: I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts.
1: Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson.
0: And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fantai, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about.
1: Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive?
0: question
1: mark oh. aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org. listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it <laughs> period
0: welcome back to feeling seen the accomplished Polish filmmaker Agnieszka Smoczynska has just had her first English language film released into theaters. It is called The Silent Twins. We are talking about that film and about characters that drive her, including an expansive list of women on screen that she has felt seen by from Pippi Longstocking, a personal favorite of mine, to Fern in Nomadland to Beatrix Kiddo in Kill Bill. So let's get back to it. Another thing that I found, like, looking at this this collection of characters, it is a lot of them are very solitary figures. And some of them are, like, really seeking out, like, affection and connection. Ponyo, specifically, is clamoring to be with Sasuke throughout the entirety of the movie. Did you taste blood, Brunhilde?
1: My name is not Brunhilde,
0: it's Ponyo. Ponyo? Ponyo! Ponyo loves Sosuke! I will be a human too! Human? Ugh. What do you know about humans, Brunhilda? They spoil the sea. They treat your home like they're empty black souls.
1: Hands! I want
0: hands! I don't want these slippers anymore! I want feet like Sosuke! But its it seems like there is largely this thread of even like a character like Clarice Starling who's amidst... Like, the FBI, she is sort of apart from, and we are we are given visual cues by Jonathan Demme at the very beginning of the movie to show us how apart yes. from her cohort Clarice Starling is. And I thought it was interesting, this um, collection of relating to these very kind of solitary figures, while having two of your films be very rooted in, like such an intimate, unique companionship between, like, these sort of, like, twin sons that revolve around each other with, like, your mermaid sisters in the lure and then the twins and the silent twins. And I wanted to hear from you about, like... That contrast sort of in your own perception of like the duty of loneliness and sort of like the 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 duty to a partnership. Yes. Like and, and hear about those those two things that sort of how they resonate with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's something that's what happened with June and Jennifer, they in some way they decided to be together and they protect each other. In mm-hmm. some way they decide they because they wanted to to be together in some way they excluded from the community and it's mm-hmm. uh, June and Jennifer it's completely different case that's uh, gold and silver because mm-hmm. they were outsiders they mm-hmm. were mermaids and I was of course June and Jennifer were also outsiders but uh, gold and uh, silver they came from the outside world and mm-hmm. they it, their relationship was Completely different than June and Jennifer. The June and Jennifer mm-hmm. relationship, maybe not completely, but it was, it was different. June and Jennifer relationship was so, you know, it was so complex. I could speak about it maybe for hours. My God. Because, yes, because, yeah. yeah, you agree with me that we, we yeah, also. Like
0: psychological tomes can be written about the nature of this relationship yes. between between the Gibbons twins.
1: Yes, because also, and also in some way, this is very unique uh, relation and it's mm. also very universal at the same time mm. that's why we can so much resonate with them because uh, when you are when you are so close with somebody there is also a control in mm-hmm. this relation and you want to control somebody who you love so much because you want to also protect this uh, person but you also want to give her a space but in some way you also want to uh, it's not uh, in terms of June and Jennifer Relationship. It's also about uh, the question about the identity. Who Mm -hmm. can, uh, who can define me? And the, the wife who defines you is your sister because Mm -hmm. it's your sister is like your mirror in some way. And, you know, it's, uh, and then the June wants to set free from her sister and Mm -hmm. Jennifer wants that wanted to be with her so much. And I don't want to spoil the the movie, but this would happen with them. And that's uh, how Jennifer decided to set free her sister it's very mm-hmm. beautiful and moving for me part of the story
0: so with you with with this thread of sort of um sort of isolation among these characters and 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 talking about sort of like the the pressure of that kind of love and connection with such a devoted other do you find the solitary nature of those characters you suggested to be something that is identifiable to your experience? Like, yes, I get that. Or is it something that's, like, aspirational to your experience? Like, I seek to be more solitary? Or, like, is it is it an attraction of fear? Or is it, like, an attraction of relatability to that kind of, not necessarily loneliness, but aloneness? Because the two are not the same exact thing. To be alone is not to be lonely. But so I wanted to hear your relationship with their very solo journeys that, and and just sort of the inability to find a peer among them, given their circumstances with like those characters you suggest.
1: Jennifer, uh, June, and also Gold and Silver, they are sisters. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the sisters' love is a kind of the mystery. And mm-hmm. the mystery which, which I try to understand because I, I don't have a sister, Mm. I grew up among seven sisters of my mom.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yes, and my mom, uh, because their mother died very early, and Mm. they had to be together, only seven sisters. And uh, from one who has two years old, and the older were 24 years old, and Mm. they were mother to each other, they were father to each other. You know, it was very complex also sisterhood. And I think for me as a small girl, I just, I'm just trying to understand this very unique and very special relationship, and maybe, mm. maybe that's what I took from the childhood that I was trying to. I'm maybe I'm trying also to understand my mom in some mm. way, and, <laughs> you know, and her sisters. And of course, uh, I don't want to focus only on this sistershood. I hope in a future movie I will not, uh, you know, mm. tell the story about because. This uh, relationship between June and Jennifer is so complex, it's so rich and powerful mm-hmm. that I, I think it's, I don't know if I could you know, find uh, another so beautiful and touching story like, uh, like their story. But mm-hmm. you know, nobody knows. You always, when I start to work on the movie I, yeah. or on the story, it has to be always something what resonates with me very deeply. Mm-hmm. And probably maybe this sisterhood is something what I have to you know um, how to say examine and study mm-hmm. for for years.
0: <laughs> people yeah. pay people a lot of money to help yeah. them do that <laughs> yes. in in small rooms and a lot of talking and <laughs> and with these characters like 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 Fern and like Clarice and that that litany of of ones that you said you felt represented by is it is it that. Is it that solitary nature? Is part of it that solitary nature that you feel something that resonates with you? Or is that something that is more of a curiosity that you're drawn to? Or are you like, no, I, I am generally sort of a, a satellite in this world. And, you know, <laughs> connections are something I really have to work at versus something being very, like, instinctual to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it can be both, but rather it's something what I want to study and understand. And just mm. to, because I'm a kind of the person who... Loves to be with people and who loves, you know. I'm not a solitary kind of the human Mm. being. I, of course, I I love to sit, uh, you know, alone in a home or just to go somewhere, but rather I'm, I think I'm not, uh, I'm not solitary kind of the human being, but you know, I, but I'm, this is what it's, what intrigues me very, very deeply and what, what I'm trying to understand because it's. Because I think that, that we as a human beings, we need, we need somebody to, to identify, you know, mm-hmm. to understand and to create yourself, but also because you need relationship, but at the same time, you need to be an individual. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, maybe I'm also trying to understand this. It's not, I think I don't, I still don't understand. I'm trying to understand. <laughs>
0: Yeah. well and I I I, th- I thought something that was interesting too considering the characters like Fern and like and like Julie in in three colors blue is you have these women who they have lives behind them spouses tragedy has sort of marred their experience and they sort of remove themselves aggressively from standard social connections. Uh, that we would understand of, like, friends and neighbors, things like that. But I think an interesting thing, too, about those characters is they're not necessarily young women. Yes. And there is a kind of, there is a default status with, like, it's Frances McDormand in one case and Juliet Benoche in another. There is a sort of social default to, as women get older, they become more invisible. So there's yes. something, like, especially wrenching to me about thinking about these characters in the context of their solitude because it feels like women have to do so much to be seen and be noticed as they get older in this world and the idea of choosing to sort of sublimate yourself into the environment to not be seen it feels like Oh my God, but what if you change your mind? Can you ever crawl <laughs> back out of that like silent screaming ma? And yes. and so there's like a, there was kind of an emotional terror that sort of overtook me thinking about these characters in this way with their with their lonesomeness. Just like, oh my God, but no, we have to help them. But <laughs> don't, they, don't, they don't need to want my help.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. And also, when, you, when I also very often start to think about Patricia's Arquette character in boyhood. I don't mm. know if you remember the mother, yes, yes. and also the the moment how she feels, how much you know, how everything is passes, and this is maybe because I'm forty 44 years old and I'm tr- mm-hmm. and I'm changing, and I and also the culture is changing, and also how the women are perceived is hopefully changing, and when the when you start to understand that the women are invisible because that's what where the power. It was how they looked like and the mm-hmm. charisma. It was because of the sex appeal or because of the beauty, and etc. And uh, it shouldn't. I think it should. Be, uh, I hope it can change in our culture in the future. But uh, that's why I also chose the uh, character of Judy Foster because mm-hmm. because I remember when I was uh, maybe I was I don't know how old I was but. Maybe seventeen or maybe twelve—I don't remember—but I was really surprised that you can watch the movie about the female character when, mm-hmm. when her power is not how she looks like and not the the sex mm-hmm. appeal, but the but her brain.
0: Starling, we wouldn't have found him without you. Nobody's going to forget that, at least about me. Thank you, sir. And that, we, we even get that amazing shot, like, at the beginning of the movie, tiny Jodie Foster in an elevator with all of these men who she's, like, yes. comes up to their shoulders, practically. And the expression of just, like, how physically diminutive she is is yes. Yes. extremely intentional.
1: Yes, 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 exactly. Because always, uh, I think, when you go to the cinema, when you watch movie, and also when you try to tell the story, you you try to understand yourself and uh, yourself in the world. And you try mm-hmm. to, you know, that's what I'm doing all the time. I'm going to the cinema to, to see my, myself in a, yeah. in, a in a life and to yeah. try to, that's why I like the, your idea with, with <laughs> Thank you know, you. I'm
0: a big fan of it.
1: <laughs> you know, which, uh, which uh, characters you, you know, identify with because it's like, it's something, okay, I'm going to the cinema just to see myself and understand myself and understand the people who are around me and I understand mm-hmm. the world. And there are so many ways to, you know, to use your life and so many ways to, to, you know, to, to go through your life, you know, that, and it's, uh, that's why the stories are so, you know, amazing because you can, when you go the path through the journey with Fern or with the characters from Persona Bergman, you go with them and you can go deeper, 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 and you can go through the catharsis. That's what I love in the in the cinema.
0: And then tell me about the experience of, of watching Kill Bill for the first time and seeing Beatrix Kiddo. Yeah. <laughs> how, was, how was that for, how was a rip-roaring tale of revenge for you?
1: You know, I was, it was the year when I, when I uh, married, when I got married, and I remember that a friend of mine gave me, uh, you know, you have to watch Kill Bill. And I remember I was shocked. I loved it because she was, you know, she was the fighter.
0: Oh yeah.
1: You know, I love it very much. And also all of the rest of the female
0: characters. You and I have unfinished business and not a goddamn fucking thing you've done in the subsequent four years, including getting knocked up. It's gonna change that. So when do we do this? It all depends. When do you wanna die?
1: But now when I'm older and uh, uh, I think, okay, this is just a, this is not female character. This is a man, in a, you know, with the, uh, with the, you know, what what I mean. The way of thinking of the character is completely different because, the, of course, women are very complex. But now uh, there is a, you know, you know, uh, I'm from Poland. We are very close to the war in a Russia, in a Russia and in Ukraine. That's what's mm-hmm. happening in Ukraine. It's, uh, it touches very every day, and there is a book written by one of the writers, which uh, which its title is "The War Has Nothing from the Woman," and the fight has nothing mm. from the woman. And this is something what open you the mind, and you start to think, okay. If the woman uh, would run the world, if there would be so many wars in our, mm-hmm. you know. And this is something that you can also think in terms of the creating female characters. They, mm-hmm. Because that's uh, Kilbil. That's also why I mentioned Kilbil. Because Kilbil I loved, I'm, I watched many times. Mm-hmm. But now when I'm thinking about it, I think, okay, this is an uh, old way of talking about women.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. As a side that is and that's and what do you feel like there is a, a a like a warrior character in that way that you have seen brought to life with like a, a with a heroine, a, a female character, that you feel like really captured the point of view? of herself and not so much felt like from the authorship of a it's quentin tarantino's one of my favorite filmmakers i love his stuff and there is a joyful fanboyness about so much of what he does and so what is there a warrior character that you felt like has really captured that distinction that you now feel when you watch kill bill being older than when you were younger you're like you know what I, i did find that sort of warrior goddess soldier cyborg figure in another place
1: you know, not yet, because I was watching, of mm. course, The Black Widow with Scarlett mm. Johansson, yes? So it was I,
0: the, I, I, I feel like we need your action movie is yeah, what I'm trying to get th- at. Is this it, is th- what I'm saying is, are we getting at the long way of saying, are you, are you going to make us an action movie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also what I saw, okay, she looks sexy, and she's. it's also for me the old way of telling the story about women as a warriors. So this is mm-hmm. something what I think we should explore in terms of the telling the story in the movies. I think it could be very, very... Because I have... My daughter is 17 years old. Mm. And the 17s now, the teenagers now, they don't... Uh, the the way how they, you know, what they dress and what they wear. And mm-hmm. also, you know, what they like. It's like unisex. There's There is no, you know... You don't divide for the girls and the boys. There is like right. no persons. And I think this is something that can be very, very interesting in terms of the creating a new heroine or how mm-hmm. you can, you know, it's very, very, for me, it's still like ahead of us. And I'm mm-hmm. very, I'm very happy to explore this.
0: You know, I, I really, I love uh, Suspiria from oh, 2018. Yes. Luca Guadagnino's yes. Suspiria. And Emily Yoshida was a film critic at Vulture at the time when that came out. And she wrote about that movie as being unconcerned with the tidy he- male hero's journey that we're so accustomed to seeing. And that was one of the things she found so refreshing about watching it. Was that it wasn't like this linear path to achieving where you knock down walls to where you get to be. It was this like Byzantine traveling through a coven of all women and like at stake are these like intimate points of connection between them like who you have between Sarah and Susie with yes. Nia Goth and Dakota Johnson and the war for power in a way that just did feel like the normal that normal hero's journey we're used to seeing the building blocks of was just like oh no we we simply can't care about that and yes. I just lost myself in that movie
1: yeah 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 so yeah yeah you are yeah I totally agree I'm
0: I I I love the idea of you sourcing a future heroine from, like, your in-tuned 17-year-old daughter (laughs) and being like, listen, let's be a brain trust on this one and really come together. Yes. Well, what then, I wonder then, what is, as you are three features in now, what feels to you like the most sort of exciting forefront of possibility with what you maybe have crafted your way to being able to understand how to do better or have the clearance as somebody who's more established as an artist or perhaps in ways the industry is changing, what is sort of most exciting to you about ways that you can develop heroines that I don't know if you felt like was always an option to use since the start of your career or that you see the potential for now based on, like, other inspiring examples around you? Where do you, where do your heroines have the potential to go that you're most thrilled about?
1: I don't know yet because, you know, it's always – I don't think uh, I'm. – I'm not starting to think from this – from this point, I rather f- start to think on the concrete history mm. and the concrete characters. Mm. Fugue was also based on a true story. It was inspired by the true story. I also working on a character uh, on the female character who is a witch, cyber witch, something mm. like like this, something in the future. and uh, and uh, yeah, I don't want to tell too much. Because it's you know it's uh, you know you don't you never don't know what's gonna happen and etc. But I'm I'm trying to understand you know to what defines woman and mm. what because uh, i just read uh, i i just read an interview with one of the writers who who said that female writer who said mm. that uh, when i was 14 years old i understood that every book was about men and mm-hmm. the woman was only the you know in the background and also i think it was besides of course bergman and antonioni it was also the same in the uh, cinema Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, and now when we start to t- the the women are our mothers or the lovers or the warriors, and and I'm trying to to think about uh, what defines us as a as a yeah it's, it's, and maybe maybe in the future it will be not a woman maybe it will be like it's not a, I don't think it's like a woman maybe it's just the the person something uh, you know in between. The sexist.
0: That makes me th- that you saying that and saying the word cyber witch, which is extremely exciting. Um, is uh, I'm a big fan of robot cinema, and <laughs> uh, me and me and a friend uh, have extensive conversations about it. And she's she's a real robot cinema scholar, and she meant she talked me through the cyborg manifesto. Oh, and there is uh, I know that there is I certainly can't quote extensively from it, but I know that there is a line in it where. Um, Donna Haraway, the author of it, says she would rather be a cyborg than a goddess. (laughs) Yes. Because to truly ascend to a next tier of evolution would be to throw behind the paradigms of what the goddess demands we be. And why would you want to be that when you could be a cyborg? Something new and something built of your own and something self-repairing. Yes. And so I thought that was that's one of my favorite things I've heard in a long time. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. It's very interesting. I don't know if you... Did you watch the movie uh, Titan?
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> Saw that at Beyond Fest here in Los Angeles last year and was just gobsmacked the entire yes. time. And Julia de is such a, an incredible filmmaker even more so with hearing her how she talks about her work and talks through her work, yeah. and it's it, it is absolutely a case of like a work feeling even more enriched by hearing how thoroughly she has considered. The most fascinating aspects of character and gender and queerness and moving toward a future where yes. those terms are so much more conversationally intertwined because we're less concerned with convention. It was just she did a Q&A after and I was just like, God, I didn't know if I could be more in love with you, Julia de Cornell.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, 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 and I think she. Do you like Titan? Of course. This, I
0: will. I will have course. to let you go after this, but I need to know if you like Titan and what you I loved love about it. Titan.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it so much because I think she cross. She crosses so many borders, and I, I and she tells the story about love and about family, but in a totally different and new way. And I love it.
0: All right, well, I yeah. am so bummed that I have to let you go because I have so enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we're just getting, we're just heating up. Uh, <laughs> but it, uh, Agnieszka, it, is so, it has been so wonderful to talk to you and I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing expansive thoughts about your work and the work of, of others and its influence on you. I, I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. Thank you so much, Jordan.
0: Yes, thank you for your time and thank you, uh, thank you for your work, of which I am a big fan.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you again, Agnieszka Smoczynska. The Silent Twins premiered at this year's Cannes Film Festival and is currently showing in select theaters across the United States. And now, that one quick thing before I go. And that, I mean, how quick can it be when it is the new Hellraiser, the queer classic from the incredibly imaginative, borderless mind of Clive Barker, who directed the original as well. The kind of canonical two are one and two, Hellraiser 1 and then Hell- Hellraiser 2, Hellbound. Those are the ones that... um, really are the meat of the franchise. Three through everything else that has happened up to this point. It just kind of gets like increasingly dissociated from uh, those roots uh, to varying degrees of fun. Uh, some have their defenders. Some some people love three. I hear five get props. I think uh, a young Henry Cavill is in either seven or eight. Uh, it is Ashley Lawrence, a tremendous and all-time final girl in those first two um, comes up elsewhere in the franchise as well. Pinhead, always good. It's always, I would say, if you're curious about the remainder of the Hellraiser franchise, just watch for the Cenobites. Like, just watch to see the various fucked up Cenobite cool uh, costuming and effects uh, that pop up throughout the franchise, because as we know, sequels have to sort of like, keep going, keep going, keep going, uh, build, build, build. So by the time you get to you know, those last movies, you racked up a fair amount of Cenobites to ogle at. And that's, that's a big part of the fun of Hellraiser. The new movie is coming from director David Bruckner, trusted filmmaker. Uh His film, The Ritual is outstanding. I, you rarely get a, an ensemble of all men in a horror movie. And it, it is, it's true. It's like, it's like looking for a final boy instead of a final girl. It's actually uh, not the most common thing it's an excellent cast. They have excellent chemistry. There are some incredible practical and creature effects that come up at a point I'm not going to tell you, so I don't spoil it. Um, but also, The Nighthouse House uh, from last year, in which Rebecca Hall gave an absolutely Oscar-worthy performance, uh, something extraordinary in that movie. Uh, he, does, he does good work. He came up in the sort of VHS indie cinema collective of the early 2010s in that sort of uh when anthologies were really peaking and the the period of time that uh birthed simon barrett and ty west and adam wingard um david bruckner came out of that too timo chianto always shouts out to timo chianto really kicking ass always over in the indonesian film scene but to the hellraiser of it bruckner at the helm on this one, writers Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. Story by David S. Goyer. And of course, based on the book by Clive Barker. So we've got some big names in there. we got some big names in there. Um, I'm nervous because this is such a queer text. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the identification status of the filmmakers involved, but uh, Clive Barker, obviously, himself, such a forwardly uh and outspokenly queer man Uh, you know in his writings clearly always but I think was really on record with that officially as of the mid 90s um it's something that you want to see go to a very forcefully queer filmmaker just like you know you want to win for the home team uh but I trust David Bruckner's art artistic sensibility um and the new trailer Looks really looks really good. It looks really compelling. Um I'm really interested in Jamie Clayton as the new colloquially pinhead, the hell priest herself. Um we've got the chatterer. We've got the chatterer Cenobite in there. It's always good to see an old friend. Uh we've got people fucking around with the lament configuration. Like you should never do wanna see what's in the box? No. The answer is always no. Don't open the goddamn box. Don't open the goddamn box. Unless hell is what you seek. So the trailer looked beautiful. We've got we've got people strung up on chains, hung in the air by hooks. We've got chains flying through the air at the command of Pinhead. Like those are those are some buttons you wanna see pushed uh by a Hellraiser film. I don't know, I'm like, I'm nervous because I'm so excited and I don't I'm really good at going into movies without like layering them with expectation. I'm I'm real good at going in with an open mind and assessing things based on what they're trying to do and not what I what I assume they are or what I wish they were. But the legacy of this one's big. It's exciting to see I am a boss in anything, so that is that's extremely encouraging it's like well hi i'm a boss is there the very at the very least everybody we're gonna have hi i'm a boss it's coming october 4th and it's it's a hulu film i I do have to point out comically um the way the title is illuminated in the trailer and just with the font and everything it absolutely amanda smith disaster girls podcast co-host pointed this out to me that it looks just like the law and order font and to see the hellraiser title and hear the like Hear the sound effect of Law and Order in my head is, is very entertaining. So that's funny. That's just a funny side thing about Hellraiser. But yeah, other than that, whew, I can't believe it. We've come this way. It, everything old is new again. And I hope that if this movie introduces a new generation of horror appreciators or the horror curious or the kink curious or the hell curious, I hope that Hellraiser can be their gateway in as it was uh, a. A runway for so many of us. Uh, this is the first movie memory I ever have is of watching Frank rise from a pile of blood and viscera in the attic of a house in the first Hellraiser. So here's looking at you, David Bruckner, Hellraiser, Jamie Clayton, thrilled to have you. And that that is our show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Scene Pod or send us an email at feeling If you want to follow me, I'm your crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Eben. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture, artist-owned,
1: audience-supported.